Hello, all you reinventors. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I am the owner of Covey Club and founder of Covey Club, a place that holds a space for you while you figure out what's next. I am also the inventor of this podcast, and I am super, super excited that today I am bringing you a conversation with somebody who I've admired for 20 years, Taina Bienname, who is the executive director at the Coalition Against Trafficking in Women, CATW. And I met her when I was running Mary Claire and she was doing Equality for Women. And at that point, she was a groundbreaker. Like there were very few people on the ground looking at women around the world and what was holding them back and actually getting in the trenches and fighting for them. And um, what I love is Taina is still at it. And um, what I really love is that she went back to school as in her 30s to get her law degree. And then she's had to reinvent herself many times. And um, she has great tips and tricks for those of you who are trying to figure out how to leave that big paying corporate job or how to make a side-by-side transition into something that really makes your heart sing as well as your job. Maybe it's a two track. Maybe it's doing your job to a certain time frame and then crossing over. You know, she was on a lot of these um, organizations and got very involved, met the people, connected. um, And then when the time was right, she was able to make that transition. I know a lot of you are thinking How do I do that? How do I transfer over to a nonprofit? What's that really like? But how do I even do it? And so I think she has some wonderful tips and tricks for you. So I am excited to bring to you Taina Bien-Ame. Welcome, Taina. I am so thrilled to have you on the podcast. This brings my heart good feelings after having worked with you and all the great things you do when I was at Mary Claire. And I love seeing that you're out there still kicking. I know. Thank you so much for having me, Leslie. And I think it's a testament of how we constantly reinvent ourselves. I mean, yes. I first met you when you were editor-in-chief of Mary Claire. Um, this is like 20-something years ago. Our kids were still small and yeah. you were, you know, kicking up a lot of dirt then and we're still doing it. So it's perfect for this conversation. So thanks so much for having me. So let's talk a little bit about you and your own personal reinventions. I always like to understand how people do what they do and why they do what they do and how they got there. So maybe just give us a little bit of background for people who don't know you. And how did you end up Today, you're an executive director at Coalition Against Trafficking in Women, but you've done a lot in that area. But did you start in that area? No, not at all. I mean, I think, you know, when we talk about reinvention, we have to ask ourselves, like, from which standpoint, like, how do we how do we define ourselves? And very often it's hard to define ourselves because the outside world defines us. <laughs> and so it's you have to, I mean, my journey in life is like, how do you, how can you, yeah, obviously you see what society tells you 
how to be, especially as a woman, me as a Black woman. I am a first-generation American. My, my parents were immigrants from Haiti. I was born in New York City. Um, and so, of course, the, the, the initial journeys are almost um, haphazard. Like, you, you just stumble across um, opportunities. Of course, there are barriers, but um, you just seize you just seize the day every day, and I think what guided me in in throughout my life is is the kitchen table. I always say that's where my education started, where um, I was just surrounded by very very strong women, and I believe the entire world was. Uh, made of powerful women from my mom and my grandmother, who was a suffragette. Um, and then I guess when I hit adolescence, I just realized like beyond the kitchen table, these women didn't have power. Like I started uh, hearing news about, or you know, noise about the sexual harassment they were facing um, at the job or bosses wandering hands or domestic violence uh, in, in our you know, homes. And, and so that's how I started thinking about um, what, is, what is it to be a girl in this society and how can we move forward to make sure that we're, we're you know, deemed equal in the world and, and, uh, um, and considered worthy of of, um, of equality and, and worthy of dignity. What did you actually study in school? So when I was a little girl, I wanted to be a pediatrician and I always thought that was going to be my, uh, my journey. And then somehow, again, um, uh, listening to the matriarchs of my family, I read at 17, the Second Sex by Simone de Beauvoir, and that radically changed my life. And I wound up in political science, international relations, and worked for an international organization for a number of years uh, before I went back to law school. So that was also, I wasn't what they called an older professional. I went back to law school at 30 years old. Um, so I was an older student and then uh, went to the corporate world for eight years. So yes, by the time I was 30, I already had had a few reinventions. That must've been scary going back at 30. I bet you that was not a common thing. Um, it, we were definitely a minority and especially since we're very often women are defined by their reproductive cycle. So, you know, 30 was a time when people settled down, started having children. I remember my mother wondering like, oh, you know, 28, 29 is a time when you start um, starting your own life. And so it wasn't so much scary as it was, you don't know what was on the other side. But the reason why I went to law school was to understand how systems work. Because again, being the daughter of immigrants, um, there was this always fear of challenging authority, of you know doing what you're told. And what law school taught me is that these institutions and laws were, are actually created by or developed or imagined by 
men mostly, right? By a system of patriarchy, by you know, very long institutions of, of um, yeah, of a group of, of men who would tell us how to define ourselves and, and what, what we could or could not do. And so I, I think what law school taught me is that just the way you can build those institutions that are harmful to women and girls or facts and patterns that are harmful to, human, to women and girls, you can also work to undo them. And law reform and uh, legal advocacy um, for the rights of women and girls have, have been my passion ever since. And is the Coalition Against Trafficking in Women, now was that established already or did you establish it yourself? So no, it was established already. So in 1992, when I was at a Wall Street law firm, I met this woman named Jessica Newworth who had come from Amnesty International. And this was at a time when the concept of women's rights as human rights wasn't even in existence. It's a term that started, that was coined in 1993 at a UN conference. Um, and so before that, like everything that happened to women and girls, uh, whether it was female genital mutilation or sex trafficking, domestic violence, sexual violence, I mean, there's a long list of harmful cultural and traditional practices weren't considered human rights violations. They were just considered life. Um, and so, but there was a, a growing movement of women's rights advocates and lawyers and survivors around the world, and this we're talking pre-internet, <laughs> who, who were fighting for their rights within their communities and, and saying, you know, our governments need to protect us. Like this is not, this is not our destiny uh, to be married at nine years old or to be denied equal pay or, you know, I won't go into the whole whole list. I mean, the UN estimates that one out of three uh, women and girls will have experienced um, abuse, sexual violence, um, battery in her lifetime. When we consider that there are four billion women and girls around the world, that's a lot of people. And so we st I was one of the founding board members of Equality Now, which is a global human rights organization. And uh, when we worked, we worked on all forms of violence and discrimination against women and girls, but we based our work on sex trafficking and sexual exploitation on the Coalition Against Trafficking in Women, which at the time was four years old. So CATW was formed in 1988. So basically it was sort of a parallel journey with, um, with uh, the coalition. And so I stayed with Equality Now for 20 years in various capacity. And then when I left, the board of CATW asked me to, um, to join them as an executive director. And I said, no, I will never be an executive director again. <laughs> um, it's just too hard and I want to do something else. And here I am eight years later, um, still kicking. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, that's what it was equality now. That's what I remember that you were doing at that point. Yes, 
Yes, yes, indeed. And, and you know, for, for the women who are listening, who are in the corporate world and want to affect change in some way, it's absolutely possible in that I was, um, again, at a Wall Street law firm for four years, and then I worked at HBO um, for four years. And, but I was always a board member of Equality Now at the time, and we were a working board because we had no money and we were growing the organization. So it really gave me the opportunity to keep my finger on the pulse and to affect change um, in a way that was very concrete and uh, very meaningful. Because I know people have bills to pay after law school. I had debt like most people. I mean, this is 30 years ago. So now I can only imagine how much debt people are in once they graduate. Sometimes it could take a lifetime to repay that. And therefore you have to make certain choices to stay in, in, uh, in the corporate world. But there are always opportunities to join boards, to volunteer, to contribute in very profound and um, and concrete ways to make this planet a, a better and safer place for women and girls in particular. Let's talk a little bit about how you can two-time your way into a reinvention, because I think that's um, kind of what you did in, in an interesting way that people kind of think of it as, oh, my big job. And then on the side, I'll you know do a little, a little benefit thing in what I'm really interested in. But it sounds like you actually did more than that because it actually let you segue. So how did it let you segue? I find that really interesting. Well, it's, it's a, it was about developing relationships, right? So it, it's sort of a parallel road where you, you know, I had signed up for something that I was passionate about and then you, do, you, you develop the expertise you develop the relationships with people um, who, who do this full time, and then people invite you in. And so when I was at HBO, I was, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like these are very difficult um, choices to make to go from a corporate, you know, very well-paid job to a nonprofit space. Um, the, the pay cut is significant. I had the immense privilege and honor and luck to be with, uh, with a partner who, who stayed in the corporate world. Um, but I, I do think that there's, there's just, um, we have to be open to, to whatever opportunities come to us. And sometimes we're not available or, or ready to uh, listen to the invitation, but the invitation is, is usually there. And so that's what happened to me in that when um, I was offered the position at Equality Now, um, even though the children were my children, I have two boys, were very, very young at the time. And I just thought, hmm, is this going to be compatible with um, raising young children, but somehow with a little sleep deprivation and a lot of passion, you, you manage. Um, and I, I wouldn't have done it, um, you know, 
it, it's just has been such an incredible opportunity to to be to be part of a of a movement because we're talking about a global movement um, to end violence and discrimination against women and girls and although the situation for women and girls has never been as difficult as it is now for a number of reasons, including uh, the internet, which has its pros and cons, um, it, it remains such a, you know, it remains very fulfilling and, uh, and in a way revolutionary, you know. It's... Oh, yes. I think we're still in the revolutionary phase of all of this that I thought maybe we had conquered, but I feel like we're slip sliding backwards or the world would like us to slip slide backwards. It would be easier for them. And uh, we're not about to do that. So were you doing, you know, were you, were you spending, cause I'm just trying to get an idea if people are listening and they're like, okay, I'm on the board of X um, group that that's where my heart really is. And I'm willing to, to do without the pay, how much time were you spending between the two before you became a serious, you know, contender for them, the, the, where your heart was to come and ask you to do that? Were you spending, you know, half your time with them? Were you, just cause I think a lot of people have this already. They kind of have one foot in something where their heart's desire is. And the question is, how do you pull the other foot over? I think what you have to do what is best for you. And some people are more effective than others, but I'll give you an example. So I sat on the board of the New York Women's Foundation for nine years. It's an unbelievable board. I met women I would have never otherwise met on, on that board. It's, it's a significant uh, amount of investment for board members. It's uh, you're on various committees, you have a lot of meetings um, and every woman on that board made the time and contributed in different ways, right? So some people wanted to be on the program committee and others on the development committee. Um, you don't, you know, I, I think it's important to listen to yourself and see, like, for instance, you can, you can contribute in ways that can only take five hours of your time per week, or you can um, participate in, in ways that takes an hour a day uh, or a few times a month. I, uh, I think, again, it's important to assess what 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 you can do you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you you're passionate about the, the the cause in which you're investing but then you become frustrated because you haven't done enough or you feel guilty because you're not contributing enough um, I, I think it's 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 very important to and this is the way we conduct our lives right and sometimes we you know, we missed the point, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's really important. You know, part of reinventing yourself every day is listening and forgiving yourself, listening to yourself and, and forgiving yourself for all the things that you want to do, but can't, but um, for, for a variety of reasons. But I, I do think that, um, uh, any, any contribution that you can do, um, 
seize it. And then you'll see where that, where that goes. And then other people will say, you know, you can actually push yourself a little more and uh, conduct this interview on our behalf, or you can come to this uh, event on our behalf and speak, or I can pair you up with this, um, this woman who needs um, your expertise, whether you're a psychologist or a financial manager or whatever it is. I think there's a place and a time and a framework for everyone to, um, to be able not only to reinvent yourself, but also to feel very empowered about um, being the change that you want to see. How do you know, Taina, when it's time to reinvent yourself? What is the feeling that you're tapping into that says, you know, I thought this was great and it was great in X ways, but it's not doing everything for me? Or is it a, does it come upon you suddenly? Or, I mean, it's easier when, you know, like for me, they close the magazine. <laughs> I had to reinvent. Mm -hmm. But if you're in, a situation where they like you and you're doing well and whatever, but it's not just right for you. Um, how do you how do you know when it's time to move along? Well, I think you 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 put your finger on the pulse. Sometimes, very often, for us older women, it's really the outside world that tells us where we are in the life cycle, and so sometimes you you know, you feel you're in your prime and, or, and you are in your prime or, um, or you feel you, you, you have an enormous amount to contribute in whatever field you're in, but then whatever outside structure it is, whether it's your job or society or, you know, women, older women are, are um, invisible in society. It's sad to say, but we live in a in in a youth culture. We we're obsessed with youth, and so and this isn't just this culture. I think it's in a lot of cultures where once you hit 40, 50, 60, um, people are telling you, society is telling you, like slow down. Uh, you're not that important, you're not that beautiful, you're not that helpful anymore. And I think that's, that's, that's the struggle. And it's, and it's been a 5,000 year struggle. Like what, um, where do we fit as women in society? Like what, what does equality mean? What is fairness? Um, and so it's, it's almost like as if people say, or you know, I've had a lot of women friends who say, I have to reinvent myself, but I am the same person. So it's almost like you have to shift your, your, your not your personality, but sort of your outlook or your methodologies to, to, to tell the world, to tell yourself, I'm still here. Thankfully, I'm healthy. I'm still brilliant. I still have an enormous amount to contribute. And we live in a society that doesn't necessarily value the wisdom of women of a certain age. And I think we have to find ways to impose it. Um, I mean, even if you look in the art world, when you see so many, like Grandma Moses, she began painting in earnest at 78. 
And there are a number of other artists like that. Like I'm thinking of Sally Gabori, who's an Australian Aboriginal woman who also started in her painting in her 80s, or you know, Zilia Sanchez, who's a Puerto Rican artist. And you look at Jane Goodall, and you know, so we have so many role models. And today is Gloria Steinem's 88th birthday. Like, I didn't know that. Wow. Yes. That's happy great. birthday to Gloria. Her, who yeah. is the epitome of what it means to be an older woman who still contributes enormously to society, to uh, a, a better world, to a brighter future for the rights of women and girls. And so she inspires me every day um, to just like, just, um, you have to tune out the noises about how everyone else defines older women. We have to define ourselves. Um, and it's part of that assertion of, our, of, of defining ourselves that we can then have the room to, um, and the strength to reinvent yourself. Do you find, I find that being older and knowing there's less time left to dally and sort of goof around, I'm actually stronger with what I want to do because I'm like, you know what? You're wasting my time. I'm not going to spend any time talking to you if you don't understand what I'm trying to do or, or you're telling me to go away and shut up and be invisible. I feel like there's a, um, there's a force that you're given because you know time's running out. You don't have forever. So speak up, get moving, do what you want to do. Do you feel that urgency at all? A hundred percent. I think, you know, the, the beauty with older women is that you feel like you can at, at last say what you want to say, <laughs> because, you know, in a way um, people try to, to uh, keep us invisible. And so, yes, there, there is this, uh, this uh, freedom, I would say, this liberation of, of, thought and um, the sense of, you know, we paid our dues and right now we can um, act as wise women, um, to, uh, to quote Justice Sotomayor. Um, yeah, I think there is, it's very liberating, I think, to, to, to be older. And, you know, as long as we have our health, as long as we can keep putting a foot in front of the other. Um, yeah, we, uh, it is, it's, uh, we, we are a force that um, the world has not reckoned with fully yet, but we're, we're here. Um, I mean, if, yeah. you, all the, if you look at the older women in, in um, Biden's administration, in um, who are, leading major financial institutions, oh, yeah. rather regional institutions or United Nations and its systems, where we are here, and you don't need to reach that level of, of power and, and success to make, uh, to make a difference. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that at all. I think we, we all contribute mightily in our own way, but you know, to, I'm quoting a lot of older women today, but, you know, I think of Toni Morrison, who says she wrote, 
books she wanted to read because she couldn't find any any of the stories that that she felt close to and so she, that's how she decided to write um her masterpieces and, and i think that's a that's a good way for us to see life like we have to make the life we want to see for ourselves yes totally so any technical um sort of do's and don'ts that you um have in your back pocket for women who want to move over, say, from corporate into something that's nonprofit. I know a lot of them say it's, you know, it's hard to do and the adjustment's difficult and all that kind of stuff. But are there any, like, do you have two or three pointers about what you need to know? I would say build community. Um, it's something we are good at. And, and now with, there's so many platforms, um, your platform, of course, Leslie, but, but other platforms, whether it's LinkedIn or your um, alumni networks, just, just connect and be inspired by each other, by, by, by your peers, um, or even uh, through with uh, younger women, you know, I think, I think they're, is great, great value in developing intergenerational relationships. Um, so yeah, that would be my number one is that continue building community, continue building, we have to build each other up. Um, and then we'll, there, there are many, many different configurations of how one can switch from corporate into the public sector, if that's what you choose. Um, uh, but yeah, I think the opportunities are, are, are endless. We just have to find time to, to connect the dots and, and make sure that we talk to the right people who can help us move into those positions um, in ways that, um, that make sense in, in, in whatever schedule you have or, or your current you know, life patterns. Um, I would, I would also say if you, if you have a hard time or for whatever reason, if it is difficult to make the transitions, then create your own platform. You know, there are so many platforms on which you can um, raise your voice, develop your ideas, um, share your dreams and goals for whatever it is you're passionate about. There's medium, start your own blog um, with now with social media being what it is it's it's uh yeah the sky's the limit into what you you can create um you know within your own time timeline and framework as to um, how, how to develop your voice or what it is that you want to accomplish uh in the next 10 15 20 years uh, and maybe you all have very, very long lives. You know, may we all live to till we're a uh, hundred as long as we're healthy. Um, I agree with that. Yeah. You, you want the healthy part of it for sure. Where can people find you, Taina? And where can they find the um, uh, Coalition Against Trafficking in Women? So you can find the coalition at www.catwinternational.org. 
And I am on Twitter at Taina Bieneme. It's a hard name. It's A-I-N-A-B-I-E-N-A-I-M-E. And we are Cat W-I-N-T-L is also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And I think that's it. <laughs> Great. And um, thank you so much for your time. I love what you do. I'm so thrilled that 20 years later, you're still banging it out for women around the world. We need your help. We need your wisdom. And um, I think a lot of women are going to be inspired about how to make that transition because an awful lot of them are thinking, I love what I do, or I'm done with what I've done, or I've made enough money, and now it's time to do my heart's desire. And um, you've given us some great tips on how to make that happen. Thank you. And I'm always available if anybody wants to continue the conversation. Awesome. So they can just mention the Reinvent Yourself podcast and then uh, message you on, say, LinkedIn or on any of your social media. Yes, on LinkedIn. Right. Absolutely. Wonderful. Taina, thank you so much. I'm so glad to talk to you. It's so wonderful. And thank you, Leslie. Thank you for being such an incredible role model and for inspiring us to reinvent ourselves every day. Thank you all for listening to this conversation with Taina Bienname. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I am the founder of this podcast and of Covey Club. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want more information about reinvention, mosey on over to CoveyClub.com. We have tons of articles for you. We have how-tos. We have charts. We have downloads. We know that you can reinvent. A lot of it is about mindset. A lot of it is about taking baby steps and we supply all of that motivation and all that how-to for you. And there is no reason for you to sit and think, I can't do anything else, or I'm just drifting, or I'm stuck. We don't believe in that. We know that's not true. It's just the way it looks right now as you're looking out that window because you've done what you've done for so long. But there's a whole wide world, exciting world out there for you to be totally fulfilled and to walk into your second half of life with a big, huge smile on your face. We all do that now. It wasn't easy, but we do it. So come join us. And thank you for listening to the podcast. And please share the podcast with anybody you know who is trying to reinvent. Do not do it alone. Come join the crowd at CoveyClub.com where we hold a space for you while you figure out what's next. Take care.